Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. That was maybe the scariest thing because it was the one thing I thought no one could ever take away from me was how smart I was. And then all of a sudden, actually, you can take away how smart somebody is by giving them a traumatic brain injury. Three, two, one. My name is Espri Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hi, my name is Samantha, and I'm a visibility strategist at Samantha Diane CO. I've just started listening to The Women in Tech podcast recently, and with each episode, I feel a sense of empowerment, inspiration. I really enjoy hearing the stories of women from all around the world who are innovating and who are leading in an industry that's typically thought of to be male dominated. I can always count on the Women in Tech podcast to give me that little bit of inspiration that I need to push myself just a little bit further. You can connect with me on Instagram at samanthadiane.co. To connect and collaborate with extraordinary women in tech around the world, remember to go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. The best business resource I have is my mentor's private Facebook group. I've never found a community that cares more about one another's success. It inspired me to create the same thing for podcasters. If you're a tech company or startup looking to grow your podcast audience, I created GetPodcastListeners.com, a private group specifically to discover how other podcasters have grown their audiences so we could do the same. Check out GetPodcastListeners.com. That's GetPodcastListeners.com. The app of the year of 2020 and now into 2021 is everybody's talking about Clubhouse, right? And should you be on Clubhouse? If you are on Clubhouse, are you monitoring your time being spent on Clubhouse? What are you getting out of Clubhouse? Clubhouse, Clubhouse, Clubhouse. It's all over the place. Everybody's talking about it. I'd say the way to look at Clubhouse is three different ways. Are you looking to be a thought leader? Are you looking to be educated? Are you looking to network? Are you looking to create an experience for others or be a part of an experience? For instance, one of the app icons, Bomani, does this incredible jazz experience called Cotton Club on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And it's just really, really great. There's tons of learning opportunities. Schwan, who we've had on the show, does TikTok education meetups. I do my podcast class club meetups. And so there are just so many different ways to get involved. I've created the most extraordinary friendships on this app. It's crazy. But I think the one thing, if you are already using the app, that you'll recognize is man, do we not pay attention to the time we spend on it. And we could end up spending a lot of time on it. So this goes back to kind of like what my theme for the week has been is just like really making sure 
that we're taking care of ourselves and we're being really intentional with our time rather than just kind of defaulting to giving all our time away and then being sleep deprived and not having the energetic space to take care of the things that are really important for us. Yes, Clubhouse is exciting. Audio social networking is this new thing that's exciting. It's like, hello, we did have the telephone, but I get it. It's just a way of ease. I could jump on Clubhouse right now and all of a sudden have this really dope conversation with people out of nowhere. And that's not something you could do by just picking up your phone and pressing call, right? You could talk to a friend, which would be amazing, but you can't have this like spontaneity of not knowing who's gonna be on and not knowing what the conversation's gonna be about. Yeah, I get it. Just be really mindful of how you're spending your time on the app. And if you do have any questions about how to use the app, feel free to message me at Esprit DeVore on all social or Esprit at hey.com. Bye. I'll see you in the next episode. to be here with our next guest, Rian. Welcome from Redlands, California. So excited to have you on the show. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super pumped to be here. Am I butchering your name? No, I'm getting it, right? You get you 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 got it right. Yeah. Woo! Okay. That's what I was hoping for. Okay, so Rian, let's jump into it. First of all, so excited to have met you. We met in the Clubhouse community. The Clubhouse is that cool app that everybody's talking about. And you were doing these SEO classes in the Clubhouse community, and my geek heart fell in love with you immediately. <laughs> so, like, let's get into it. Go ahead, start it off. Let us know who you are and what you do. My name is Rian Boitler, and I am the co-founder and COO of Ventov. We're a Shopify app development company and Shopify partner. We have three apps in the marketplace, SEO Manager, Order Lookup, and Clocked In. I also have a podcast. It's called Commerce Tea. Shockingly, it's about commerce and selling on Shopify. So I'm very, (laughs) very ingrained in the Shopify ecosystem, and I have been for quite some time now. And everybody, we're going to link to it in the show notes. So definitely be sure to check out Rianne's uh, podcast and all things. So she's incredibly helpful. Do you also have a blog or anything like that people could tap into? Man, that language. Rianne and I are le- <laughs> learning so much language from Clubhouse. Tap into digital flowers, bet, like, <laughs> say less. Like, I feel so relevant. <laughs> like, do you know what I, I mean? so relevant is the best. Is the best explanation. You're like, yes, I'm saying today things. (laughs) I'm really not that cool. I'm not cool at all. (laughs) Yeah, I I do like cool things. Uh, Like I play Risk. I'm just kidding. That's not cool. (laughs) But Rhea, Rhea, no, for real, do you have a blog that um, people could check out? Because you're dope. (laughs) Like that would be great. And some people may, may or may not, they may be, I just want something really quick. Do you have like a quick fix? So my company has a blog that's mostly about SEO. It's ventop.com forward slash blog. And I'm actually launching a blog next week, which will be rianboitler.com forward slash blog. A quick fix would be Twitter, uh, but then you get all sides of me. So if you want to just talk about SEO, the blog's probably the right place to be. But if you want me, my spicy takes on commerce and slash what's going on today, Twitter's a great place for my microblogging needs. I always forget that Twitter was like branded as a microblogging platform and that's that is their brand. And then whenever I see it, I'm like, oh yes, that is what it is, <laughs> isn't it? 
before we move on, can you just spell everything for everybody? We're going to include it in the show notes as well. So if you guys are on your phones or wherever you access show notes, you could totally click. But just in case someone's doing the dishes and only listening. <laughs> yes. Uh, so it's at R-H-I-A-N-K-A-T-I-E. Perfect. And your blog? My blog is Rian Boitler, R-H-I-A-N-B-E-U-T-L-E-R.com forward slash blog. Amazing. And by the time um, this episode releases, her blog will be live. So definitely make sure to check it out. Again, this is how I found Rian from taking her SEO class on Clubhouse. It was so dope. And so I'd love to make this a combination of what we always talk about on every show, which is your journey. And then I'd also love to give people, if it's okay with you, a couple like top tips of maybe the biggest mistakes. I know that's such a weird, boring, yeah, no, vanilla good. question. No, let's do it. But maybe a, a top mistake that you wouldn't necessarily see on all the other blogs. Like you should have a strong key. I don't know. Whatever it is, like something <laughs> a little bit more like juicy. <laughs> yeah. So, but let's start with the most important and why I show up to the show is I'm so excited to share your journey. So when did you first fall in love with technology? My love of her technology was really was when I was really young because my father's an engineer. So we had a computer in my house when when I was young. And it was like the kind that printed out the paper where you, you know, you ripped along the side with the holes. Okay. So and I'm pretty sure the language on that computer was DOS. And I think I had one game I played on it and it was a number game. But besides that, then I didn't really do anything in technology. I, I took AP computer science in high school learned C++. And then I went and got a history degree and a women's studies degree. I worked in banking. <laughs> so I didn't really get like, I, I was like always tech adjacent, but my father's uh, avionics engineer. And growing up, there was a lot of pressure to be an engineer. And I would always tell my dad, I don't want to be an engineer like you. I don't want to be in, well, I guess engineering was kind of like what we called it then, right? I'm 35. So, and I don't want to be an engineer. And I don't, and I don't understand anything like to me, that was the only job that existed in technology was it being an engineer because that's what my dad did. So I also told him I didn't want to be an engineer and uh, I'm still not an engineer, but I work with one every day. So I said, well, more than one. <laughs> so you didn't want to be boxed the way you thought your family would vision you. So then how did you start to create your own path and define what you did want to be? Well, I was like, I'm going to be a lawyer when I grow up. And so I signed up for a history program. And then my sophomore year of college, I got pregnant. And so I became a single mom when I was 20. Wow. I celebrated my 21st birthday by myself with a, a newborn. <gasps> and th then I finished my degree and I picked up an extra degree uh, while working two jobs, 60 hours a week. So at that point, it was more just like, it was like survival mode. And I did, I, I applied at Google and I applied, you know, the jobs, especially back then, it was like, if you weren't from Stanford or yeah. Ivy, like they, they weren't totally. talking to you. They didn't email me back. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I did get a job at Wells Fargo and I know Wells Fargo's had a lot of controversy, but I promise I, I, I only was a banker with the most ethics. And I became a banker in California. I, I went to Arizona State. I came out to California. I chased a job. I graduated in 2008 into the recession. So like not optimal to find a job. I actually, my first job I got out here was as a makeup artist at a, a Bobby Brown counter. And then a week later, Wells Fargo offered me a job as a personal banker. And I was like, does that mean I get weekends off? And they said, 
definitely Sundays. And I said, I'm in. <laughs> so I started as a personal banker. I got promoted in three months to be a business banker. I became a senior business banker. I led business credit production for the entire Southern, uh, South Coast region of Wells Fargo. I then moved into their leadership training, became a branch manager by the age of 26, and then kept going you know, up that chain. And then I got really sick. And I had to have brain surgery. Brain and actually surgery. today that Yeah. <laughs> so actually the day that we're recording this today, eight years ago today, I got out of the hospital after a 20-day stay. Wow. Of, I saw it in my Facebook uh memories today. And so I was really sick and in the hospital. And I had brain surgery and then I, I had viral meningitis afterwards, a combination. Totally unadvisable. I, I mean, I thought I was going to die because that was on the table as an option. And I was just kind of sitting there in bed thinking, if I die today, is this the thing I wanted to do with my life? And the answer was no. And then, of course, I was like, well, I don't know what the answer yes is. Also, my head really hurts. So let's shelf this for another time. But it was kind of that revelatory moment where I realized I, I didn't want to do that anymore. So I rehabbed. It took me well over a year to get better. It took me about two years for everything to really get better. And in the meantime, I started graduate school online. And I started graduate school at Rutgers University in their liberal studies program. And while that was happening, my uncle started a handbag company. And he started a vegan handbag company and was like, I have bought all of these, hand, you know, I've made all these handbags. I'm about to pay a developer to build a site for me and I'm going to spend $15,000. And I was like, well, that seems expensive. Yeah. hundred. You know, I was like, I, I was like, I don't know much, um, but that seems like a lot of money. And so I texted my friend, Josh, who is now my business partner. And I said, Hey, my uncle's about to build this website. What do you think? He's like, Rian, you know, HTML, you know, MySpace, you know, oh, HTML. <laughs> MySpace totally helped me learn how to code. Okay, keep going. And LiveJournal yeah. too, right? So, okay, so, so he's like, you can do this. You can build a Shopify store. So I did. And I like hacked my way through a theme. And obviously the tooling was not nearly as good as it is now. This is like seven years ago. So I'm like trying my best. And I did it. And then I realized, well, these handbags aren't going to sell themselves. And so I worked with influencers. And then I realized, well, I need to be on the front page of Google. So I started working on learning about SEO. So that was happening. Meanwhile, I'm still in graduate school and my now business partner, Josh, writes a book about SEO for Shopify. It's called Shopify Empire. And he says, hey, Rian, I know by now you're a published author or like, well, not, that sounds way too fancy. I'm like published in a peer review academic journal. Oh, I'm journal. sorry. I welcome you to sound fancy. Keep going. I'm all for your fanciness. I have so many questions, but the, your story is so engaging that I'm going to wait to ask all of my questions. And I want all the fanciness first. So he said, well, like, I know you can write because you're this, you're, you're published and you're in graduate school. And I know you know about SEO because you've been doing all this reading and your brain, you're really academic oriented. So you're good at absorbing knowledge. Meanwhile, it's important to know, so at this point, I'm not receiving any money from Wells Fargo uh, anymore because I'm out of my, and I'm out of disability, right? So I'm like, I'm like living on student loans. And I was like, 
yeah, I'll edit your book. Of course. I, I love to edit things. So I edited his book. And at the end of it, he said, I think we should be business partners. We, we work really well together. We really complement each other's skill set. And so we did. And at the time, we had a couple apps that our app offerings have really changed, but we did agency work. So I was like the agency person, right? I had put together the, the pitches. I did the pitches. I was the liaison between us and the brand, the whole bit. And then we realized that agency work, while it's good work, is really challenging to scale. Because you have to then scale all this knowledge, right? Like if I read about SEO and search marketing, search engine marketing for 30 hours a week, how do you really distribute and understand it deeply? And I'm good at data sets and good at at forecasting and stuff like that. How do you replicate that one-to-one? It's really difficult to. We were throttling as an agency and we, we realized, let's just build apps instead. And so since then, we've only... We've only built apps. Wow. Okay. I'm sure all of us like are so just, I don't know about you guys. My mouth has been dropped open the whole time she's been speaking. Like I'm sure you all feel the same way. So, okay. Can we rewind for a second? Can we rewind (laughs) to where, I mean, that that was just so much, but I really think it would help all of us to understand how you were able to be a mom, a single mom and have two jobs and go to school, sometimes we feel like something's not possible and you legit made something impossible possible. So like how, like what was your mindset? I know it was survival taking care of your child in a lot of ways. I'm kind of like doubling up the questions, but do you feel like having a child actually propelled your success because it narrowed your focus to survival and protecting your child? Like, how did you become this powerful businesswoman that you are in those moments? First of all, she, I think before I got pregnant, I was thinking about dropping out of university. Don't tell my mom, but she'll probably listen to this. And, but when I got pregnant, it was like, well, there's no choice. Like, I have to finish college. I have to finish college and I have to be successful. And then I became a single mom very quickly after having her. And then it was a, well, I'm going to be the one who provides for her. So I'm going to be the best at what I do. No matter what I'm doing, I'm going to be the best. And so I used that energy in the workforce. Um, and in at the time I was working retail, like two retail jobs, which by the way, working a swing shift in retail brutal. I think everyone should do it once in their life. So they're just more kind to people working in the service field who are- Tell us what a swing shift is. It's when you work open to close at two different jobs. Man. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Or at least those were my swing shifts. I feel like all of us in our journey should always do jobs that pretty much no one wants to do. Like, for example, I was a dishwasher. I've been a hostess. I've been a yacht stewardess, which I call glamorized maid. I've been like, for the most of us, it's not like our life aspiration, but you got to do it, you know, and you learn so much about interacting with others and about doing what you have to do. And I, I don't know. It's just, it was, I'm really glad that my path brought me to those opportunities. Yeah, I, you know, one of my first jobs was I was a car hop at Sonic yeah, on wheels, buddy. <laughs> like a rolling car hop. I 
loved it. And also we used to be able to get tips and I don't think they do that anymore. And I like figured out if I put on an accent and like I, I like gave the system. Yeah. That's amazing. It was a whole thing. And it was always a I was making like $16 an hour and what? I was 17 years old. Yeah, I was oh loaded. Gosh. I was not making that much money. It was a graveyard <laughs> shift waitress making probably like $4 an hour. <laughs> so, okay. So to answer your question, how did I do it? Oh, wait, wait. I want to share one oh, thing. Yeah. One thing yeah. that I think would bring value to everyone. I remember calling my mom when I was a waitress and I really didn't enjoy being a waitress and I also wasn't very good at it. But like, I really just, it wasn't a job that I liked at all. And I remember calling my mom just being like, ah, I'm so frustrated. I was already an entrepreneur, whatever that means. But I was a waitress, you know? And I was like, mom, I'm just, oh, I can't do it. She's like, you're not defined by what you're doing. Like if you're an entrepreneur, you're an entrepreneur. And being a waitress right now is part of being an entrepreneur. Like, don't you see it's like part of your journey? It's how you're building it all together. And I'm like, oh, because in those moments, I'm like, when do I get to start being an entrepreneur and stop being a waitress? But the way she explained it to me is like being a waitress is part of being an entrepreneur in that entrepreneurial path. It's really interesting. Yeah. And it brought me relief to survive another who knows how long, like picking up gross dishes and a dirty shirt and like smelling like eggs and you know, like, <laughs> for however much longer. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. I just thought that might be not helpful to someone out there listening. No, I think that is really helpful because sometimes it feels like you're on a hamster wheel, not going anywhere, but you're not. It's I, there's a okay. I, I'm really bad at sayings, but basically the concept is you said I think the other day on Twitter it looks like you're an overnight success, but really you're not. Like you have all of these years of effort that you've put behind you and the slog and the the random jobs that you've done just to get here. And everyone's like, wow, that person's so successful. And you're like, well, yes, yes, right now. Yes. You should see what I did before this. Yeah. <laughs> it, was a, it was hard to get here. And it's a funny perspective, right? Because what if, I mean, so close to impossible, hard to do, but what if we just like, we're really clear that we are successful in our moment, even though like society or whatever wouldn't perceive it, right? Like having a lower level job like if you don't want that, because I, I, okay. So I think that true fulfillment and happiness is loving your life and what you're doing. And so there shouldn't be a value placed on whatever job it is you're working. As long as on the inside, you're like, I love it. Like, you, I, I'm not going to repeat it now, but you know, the whole fisherman story, you know, a guy, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, and yeah, yeah, being incentivized not to be a fisherman, but he's like, I'm happy being a fisherman. Why wouldn't I be living a life just to get back to the life I'm living? Like, you know? And so I think if I could give myself advice, and I honestly don't think I would have taken it, I would have got done the exact same stubborn thing. <laughs> but if I, if I would have listened, I would have said essentially what my mom said, like, just keep on going, do you, you're on the path. And stop having expectations of your path. Just stay committed to your purpose and your drive. And don't put so much stress and weight on like something you want to force to be an outcome. Just let the path be what the path is and just keep moving forward, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like live in the process. Yeah. Live in the – that's – way better than what I said. Live in the process. No. Yeah. 
So anyway, let's get back to your process. Sorry to take us off, but okay, you're amazing. And I'm sorry, everyone, for me talking too much because she's way more interesting. Okay, so go back to like, so you're surviving this thing because you're like, no, I'm going to be the best. I'm going to be the sole provider. Keep us there. And then, yeah. I will give absolute credit to my parents for helping make this possible, by the way. They helped me pay for a nanny. My mom watched my daughter a lot. They also helped me pay for rent. If they didn't do that, I would be in a much different position, I think. Or I would have had to change my lifestyle or it would have taken me a lot longer to graduate. Because of that, I was able to graduate when I graduated. So there was those things that were – I had a good support system. I appreciate you sharing that openly too because I think a lot of people feel guilty or something. And so I think it actually empowers people that you're like, it's okay to have a support system. Yeah. I don't want to put out the idea that our company's bootstrapped, but I was born with boots on, you know? And and it's I want to recognize yeah, that privilege because yeah, yeah. not everybody has that yeah. privilege and and has parents who although they were frustrated <laughs> that I, I got pregnant when I was nineteen they they became very supportive and our great grandparents and are are still very supportive so the other way I was able to do this while working and doing everything at one time was, and I always tell people this when they're like, but Rian, I cannot do this. Like I'm going to explode as a human being. I'm going to burn out. And burnout's real. Absolutely. But if you focus, it's almost like keep your eyes on the prize to where you want to go. And don't in that moment think about all of the credits that you're taking, all the work that you have to do, all the child rearing you have to do. And just that's your target. That's your mm-hmm. goal. That's where you're headed. Because if you stop and you think about how busy and hectic things are, you get caught. And that's a really ang- anxiety-inducing moment. And then you freeze. Because yeah, you're like, I can't do all of this stuff at one time. Because if you think about it logically, it's hard. <laughs> you can't do it all at one time. But if you don't think about it too much, 100%. but it, that's hard to do. So that's what I always tell people when they're like, I don't get how you did it. And so A my parents. And then I never once took my eye off the ball. Mm, I love it. And then I want to use the word setback. I mean, brain, like what? That was the big, that was the big set. It was a setback. Did you ever feel like that emotion or that thought, why is this happening to me? Did you ever feel like life was happening to you rather than for you? Yeah. I mean, I felt I was very in my feelings after getting diagnosed. I got diagnosed with something called Arnold Curie type 1 and stringomelia. And for those of you listening, you're going to be like, I don't know what that is. That's fine because I didn't either. Basically, my brain was too big for my head, which is, let's see some light in that. It just means I'm really smart and I just needed more space for my brain. That's literally what went through my head. And I was like, is it the right moment to make a a comment? But the problem when your brain is too big for your head is it crushes your spine. So I have cysts in my spine. I still have cysts in my spine. And the idea is you have to get rid of part of the brain so you don't continue to put pressure on the spine and then leave, which will eventually lead to paralysis. And I can still become paralyzed. And that was actually one of the reasons I went into tech because when I got diagnosed with this, first of all, if you get diagnosed with anything, don't Google it. 
Dr. Google? <laughs> Don't Google it. WebMD is not your friend. Also, YouTube videos of the surgery you're going to have, a bad idea. <laughs> but I, I did. I had a, a moment where I was like, I can actually die from this. This could be really bad. And then unfortunately, during my rehabbing moment, I contracted viral meningitis as well as had a leak at my incision. So I went back to the hospital for a really a long time and I felt really hopeless. I couldn't walk. I had to learn how to walk again. I went to occupational therapy. I couldn't use my hands properly because I'd had so much swelling in my brain, which is not typical for the surgery. It just, it's what happened to me. So I feel like I I remember in occupational therapy, I mean, if there's one thing humbling, it's to learn how to rebutton your genes and it's to learn how to put one foot in front of the other again. And also it made me realize how much I take we all take for granted things like that. Like I took for granted going to a restaurant and being able to hear a conversation without lip reading. And now I have to lip read because I can't have anything behind me. So at conference, I have a hard time at conferences when I go to conferences because, you know, there's like always buzzing everywhere. I can't hear. I'll, I have to pull people aside to have conversations. And people are always super gracious about it. No one has ever asked me why I do that. They must just think it's like a me thing. But now if they're listening, they're like, oh, that means Maybe a they lot just feel sense. like it's a super exclusive conversation. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they're like, wow, Rian's like really wants to have a private <laughs> moment with me. No, I just can't hear. <laughs> I also at conferences will say like I have to sit down a lot because I get really tired, uh, stuff like that. So I have some physical limitations still, but I tend to, this is actually the first time I've really talked about it because I tend to cover them up. And then I read a comment on a YouTube video the other day, a YouTube video that I'm in, and it's a presentation I'm giving in Spain and I'm on stage and I'm out of breath because I, one of these great parts of having this weird disorder that I have is my heart doesn't work the same way everyone else's heart works. And sometimes I just get out of breath. And so... I'm like, apparently, like, he's like, someone's like, she sounds really sick and she's panting into the microphone. And I wanted to be like, but I am sick. Wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, you know, th- like, I think we are so easy to critique people. They don't think about the why that could be. It's like, no one wants to be on stage, like out of breath. I get paid to speak. You know, that's not optimal. As you're sharing the story, I was thinking about, and I think this is such a great reminder for all of us. I was thinking about, you know, how we connected and I was listening to you in a thought leadership role and you were this expert on SEO. You were like elevated status, which usually equates to perfect life, master of everything. You know what I mean? And to take a moment all the time, all day long with everybody that we all engage with to understand like we're all human with our own set of stuff. And just because you meet someone in one particular like splice of their life doesn't define who they are as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so easy to do that. Yeah. It's so easy to fall into that trap. My business partner likes to say, him and I both kind of grew up in punk rock and hardcore. and no effects. We... Yeah, I, yeah. No effects. Op so, Ivy. Yeah. Oh my god, I love Op Ivy. I love Op Ivy. I, uh, I, we could talk yeah. about that forever. But the thing about punk is, what's the difference between you and the person on stage? Five feet, right? At the crux of it, 
That's it. You are five feet away from them. It doesn't make them better than you. And it also something to keep in mind, which is a very punk idea, is if people won't let you in the front door, oh, there is always door. another yeah. door. To get My mom says each no is one step closer to a yes. Always search for the door of opportunity. Like 10 doors may be closed, but find the one that's open. Like she says all these things. Yay, mom. But like, (laughs) I know she sounds great. Super like optimist cheerleader. But yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Like always find that openness, find that light, like a hundred percent. So is that what you did when you were going through your brain trauma? How do you emotionally survive that? Well, part of it was I realized, because I tried to go back to the bank and I think I did two days and I couldn't do it. I couldn't sit for long enough. I couldn't stand for long enough. The lights were too loud. The conversations were too noisy. The th- everything was too, it was like overstimulation. It was awful. I was like puking, which it, it, it was a great side effect of having brain surgery. You puke a lot. Uh, not always, just, it, I, I feel like there's people listening. It's like, I have to have brain surgery. Is this going to happen to me? I'm like, I was in total, again, I was an outlier in my re- reaction, but I tried to go back to the bank and I couldn't. And the reason why is because I needed mm-hmm. money, right? <laughs> I was going to run yeah. out of, of... So even though I'd already had that moment in the hospital where I was like, I can't do this anymore. I need to do something meaningful. I still had the wherewithal to be like, okay, but I have to get better enough to get back to the bank to while I'm figuring out what to do next. And of course, the only people offering me jobs at that time were like Merrill, Goldman, if other banking jobs. And I was like, I don't want to work at a bank, any bank. I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. So anyways, I, I tried to go back to work. It didn't work. And then I was like kind of just rehabbing on the couch. And I felt really bad about myself because I'm a person now who I read over 100 books a year. Okay. I play See, you chess. keep bringing up these topics. How am I going to keep up with all of them? <laughs> but keep going. We'll get to your 100 books at Yeah, some I do point. a bunch of nerdy <laughs> stuff. I do all this nerdy stuff and my brain couldn't do it. And I was like, did I lose this forever? That was maybe the scariest thing because it was the one thing I thought no one could ever take away from me was how smart I was. And then all of a sudden, actually, you can take away how smart somebody is by giving them a traumatic brain injury. You, it's not about being smart. It's about so not, like words wouldn't come to my mouth. If we were having a conversation, I couldn't think of the right word or it would get stuck almost in between your brain and your mouth. And I just couldn't get it out. And so I had quite a long time like that. And I was really transparent with my business partner when, when we first started working together about my condition. And he has always been so, so, so supportive of it. And obviously my symptoms now, eight years later, are way better controlled. I'm not, you know, still recovering from meningitis. I'm post that, but I still have these moments of he's very conscious of if we're at a somewhere and there's nowhere to sit down or if there's a lot of stairs, he'll be like, hey, let's go find an elevator because he knows I will (laughs) just climb up the stairs. Like that's my personality. Like I will wipe myself out to climb up the stairs, but that means I'll be really tired (laughs) afterwards. And, and, you know, when you go to a conference, uh, you have to give it your all the whole time. You're always on and that's really exhausting. And so he holds me accountable and making sure that I take time off of the conference to go lay down and then come back to the conference. So I'm really lucky that I have a business partner that's so supportive. What a great business partner. Yeah, my business partner was amazing too. Like that, what a great business partner. Backtracking just a little bit again. I mean, you're amazing. <laughs> you're so inspiring. 
when you saw the the judgmental comment on YouTube, how did you emotionally absorb that? Or how did you let it bounce off of you? Or how did you process it? Like, what was your experience with that kind of ignorant comment? I think at first, and the other thing too, is I take steroids intermittently and have for eight years. So with that, that means I have weight fluctuation. Sometimes my face will look really round. Sometimes it won't. Sometimes I'll have swelling around my waist. Sometimes I won't. So like I literally can look different in different pictures and depending on the angle and, you know, everything. And so, okay. And the reason I bring that up is because in that moment, I was heavier than I am now through no fault of my own. I, I was coming off a steroid cycle. Like that is what it is. And I remember feeling really bad that day. Like I felt sick. I thought I was going to pass out on stage. I felt terrible. So when I saw that comment, I was like, well, he doesn't know I'm sick and that sucks, but whatever. But now after that comment, I'm really conscious of sounding out of breath on Clubhouse. Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's a bad thing because it just is who I am. If I'm having a a little cardiac moment, you know, my heart's just, my heart's just really special. It just, it likes to work really hard and go really fast. And that's okay. The tiny that's train just how I something? But you know. <laughs> yeah, it, it is the tiny train. It's like a little hummingbird. It's like, uh, um, like my normal heart rate's like 120. Like it's really high. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm wondering if this moment is like, okay, so I am afraid of hate comments. And I have noticed several ways how over my career I've kept myself small because I'm so afraid of mean people because I'm sensitive and passionate and I absorb things. I'm empathetic. I'm a lot of things that absorb energy, right? I wonder if there's a way you and I kind of collaboratively in this moment can share with one another in a way that will impact everybody listening on how to not let the potential of judgment like that to make us small or impact who we are at the core and just like self-love, like just love ourselves. Like, hey, dude, yeah, I go out of breath, have a problem or not respond to it at all or whatever, like have that like really core self-love so that we can be big. Yeah, I like that. I have a very fuck off mentality. It, like, if you don't like me, fuck you. I don't know. Sorry about it. I, I, I don't know what to do. If you're not into it, I'm not into you. I don't rock for you. Whatever. That's fine. I'm okay with that. I was less okay with it before my brain surgery. But I will say, when you almost die, you give less mm. fucks afterwards about little things. Because, you it, you know, you're like, well, does this matter? And it's so funny because I think back to when my daughter was little and toddlers cry over everything. And I would tell her, is this a big deal or a little deal? Because if it's a little deal, maybe we don't need to cry over it. But if it's a big deal, crying is the right response. And and maybe, and of course, people are going to be like, you should let your kid feel however. But no, everybody parents she's crying all the time. Listen. I had like their, we had to. I'm it. sure it was fine. <laughs> okay. the, the parent police. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and <laughs> I, yeah, I'm like, oh God, I just, um, but that was always my thing. Is this a big deal or is this a little deal? And even now, sometimes she'll frame things like, well, they said this and this and this to me, you know, like a peer, but it didn't really bother me. I'm like, why? She said, because it's a little deal. And I was like, okay. I mean, she's obviously better adjusted than I am, but 
that's kind of something I tell myself. And also, if you don't like me, I don't know. I can't make you like me. I just think I would love you to be out of breath on Clubhouse. I would love you to just be you, you know? At the beginning, when I was first on that platform, I think I told my story once or twice, and then I didn't tell it ever again. Any particular reason? And and, and to like three people. I didn't want to be branded as a person. I guess the specific reason is internalized ableism is probably the real reason at my core because I don't consider myself a disabled person, but like the world would definitely consider me a disabled person. So, and I have to, you know, you have to reckon with that, right? Like, and that's okay. Rian, you know what you are? You're like- What? You're wicked inspiring. Like, like oh, you guys, you. DM Rian right now or comment on her socials or email, whatever, however, messenger bird, whatever you do, let her know. Like, you're very, I feel like you're doing a lot right now in sharing your story in ways that you probably have no idea. Well, I was nervous too. I think it's but really I think good. It's good. I think it's really, <laughs> really good. What did Julie say that really resonated with us? So Julie is this woman that does this mixtape session, like panel session. It's called Mixtape on this app that we keep talking about, which I'm sure more than half of you are like, I don't know this clubhouse thing you keep mentioning. It's fine. Just go with it, right? <laughs> Think of it like uh, Twitter when Twitter first started, except audio only, I suppose. (laughs) And very little hate on it, at least right now. We're all very scared once it grows that hate will come. So anyway, Julie does this session and I was listening to her right before we started the interview and the very last thing that Julie said, which I'm going to butcher because she said it so eloquently, but she was uh, dissecting Jay-Z, like life lessons from Jay-Z. And one of them was, and I'm going to need your help, Rian, because I'm going to butcher it, but like, oh gosh, but something about by being your authentic self, you will attract the tribe that will elevate that. Yeah. Like you'll get the people who get you. You'll find your people if you are just your authentic self. That's right. Yeah. And why would you want to be surrounded by anyone else? Exactly. Like I don't want to be surrounded by a bunch of people that think I'm something that I'm not. I try to keep it 100 as much as possible, but I tend to leave out the whole brain surgery thing because people get, they're like, wait, what? Like somebody cut a hole in your head and you're like, yes, they did. Wasn't awake though. So that's okay. And, and it's understandable <laughs> because like as a professional, you don't want to be defined by that. I mean, there's no need for you to have to share your story all the time if you don't want to, but also to purposely hide from your story. Like that's not good. You should be able to be you, whatever it is. And I do think by being your authentic self will attract people to you that love you for you. Like the phase of my life that I'm in is I'm really examining who is transactional that I'm not noticing versus who just loves me for me as a human. There'd be so many times I'm just going to be really open, Rian, because this is the the vibe we're going for, I guess, tonight. (laughs) The majority of my life, I have felt that I'm unlovable because I've had a very intense trauma in my life and unfortunate situations that I felt consequentially those experiences made me unlovable. And it's not until literally recently that I'm like, what if I'm just me and like I'm just me and maybe some days I'm going to feel down and some days I'm going to feel up or whatever it is that's me and 
like whatever impact that the traumas had on my life, like however I show up is how I show up. But at the core, I'm a good, kind, loving person and I am totally lovable. And my true friends will like love me literally exactly the way I am. And they'll empower me through the down times and they'll elevate me during the good times. And and that's that. And so instead of having those moments where I'm symbolically out of breath, it's like, no, this is me. I get out of breath sometimes. And if you have a problem with it, then you don't belong in my inner circle. Amen. Yes. It's tough. I'm so glad that you found self-love. Finding in process. You're finding in process. (laughs) It's a journey, but yeah. On the path. It's crazy. I really appreciate – I feel like every piece of your story we could break up into its own – I really just think you're outstandingly powerful. In my brain, I want to write a book. You should. A memoir. Please. There's the part of me that's like anyone can do anything – do it, right? Hence the like, keep your eye on the prize and go for it. I think it's because it's a, I don't know what I don't know. And so I definitely don't know how to write a memoir. I can write. I, like, how do you write a, how do you pitch a memoir? I don't know. These are like oh, all X I have you. Ready? Are oh, you ready? Okay. Okay. Yes. Two things. My mentor, who's an extremely successful bestselling author, he says, the way you write a book is you write the book. <laughs> <laughs> Noted. Okay. Okay. It's very serious advice though. It's like, it's true. Two, go to, I think it's book writing school or book school, scribe book school. I don't know. I'm going to look up the domain right now before we get off. Maybe it's faster if I do it from my phone. And they have a free video course. And I think one of them is memoirs and it's free, takes you through the process and you can write your book. No problem. And like, I'm actually in the paid thing where I get accountability coaching and everything and hundred percent worth it. Like high quality, phenomenal team. They really care about creating content with high, like it's organization is legit. Scribe book school. It looks like it's bookschool.scribewriting.com. Courses, open for enrollment, how to write your nonfiction book and then how to write your memoir. There you go. And he's amazing, Tucker Max. And I know he's a little bit controversial, at least used to be. He's actually a really fucking incredible human, and he's someone I admire a lot. So whatever you knew about Tucker Max in the past, Tucker Max has done a lot of growth and blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. I like Tucker Max. (laughs) I think he's awesome. And I think his company is amazing. And the Scribe Book School is high value. It's phenomenal. I've been through it myself. Like I was in actually – this is such a like – almost informal. I think everybody's loving it, to be honest, because it's probably the most informal I've ever done it. But it's because your story is like so dope that I just took it that way. But his stuff is so amazing. So I did the paid thing and I'm still working on my book. And in order to kind of like reframe myself, like kind of ground myself and get it back to basics, because I've I've finished writing my book, but I'm in the editing process and I'm feeling really stuck. I'm going to go through the free course myself for like a refresher. So it's totally worth it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, there's so much. Okay, we could go on and on, but we've already been talking so long. (laughs) The classic questions I ask. So I'm going to ask a few of my classics. One, what is your favorite tech tool? My favorite tech tool is Moz. Yeah, no, Moz is um, OG in search engine optimization, like for sure. Their conference is really fun as well and really positive. And it was the first time I've ever seen a conference do open captioning. Oh, interesting. 
They were doing live captioning, and I've never seen that before. Crazy. And Moz is owned by Rand Fishkin, right? I don't know if he owns it anymore. But used to. He uh, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. He definitely yeah. used to. Yeah, yeah. Cool. It's so smart, data-driven analysis. I really love it. Google Analytics, too. So many more questions, all out of order. Two SEO tips that aren't found in your everyday blog. Okay, submit your sitemap. I feel like everybody I talk to just hasn't, or I look at their store, their site, and they just haven't submitted their sitemap. So it means going to Google Search Console, registering your domain with Google Search Console, and then submitting your sitemap. So a sitemap is, it's a map of your site. But without it, Google doesn't have a good idea about what your site's hierarchy is like. It's just a site. It's just like a thing. I think those were the two tips because your second tip was create a Google Search Console account. Oh, yeah, I definitely think most do that. Is, now, even me, is Google Search Console, same thing, Google Webmaster or separate thing? Same thing. Google loves a rebrand with no notice. They're actually rebranding stuff right now, I think, for launch in a few weeks or months. or I don't know when they're launching it exactly, but it will, might be launched by the time the, this pod airs. But they're rebranding a bunch of stuff. But basically, it's all the same thing. It's all the same tools. Walk us through what is Google Webmaster slash Search Console tool? So it is a hub where you can look at what search terms are being searched and how people are getting to find you for discoverability. It tells you if there's broken stuff on your site, which is really impactful. So if you've got server-side errors or broken links or also all sorts of stuff are on there. And sometimes it's things where you're like, no, no. Or it's like, hey, you've got a no index tag on this. And you're like, yes, I know I put it there. Right. So sometimes it tells you stuff you already know and you can mark it as resolved. It's so well featured. And you also can link Google Search Console to Google Analytics. And like nobody does that. And I don't know why, because it's just more data. The more information you can get about your site or your store, the better decisions you're going to make because you're going to have the information to back it up. I love that. That's three tips. First of all, create Google Search Console slash Webmaster Tool, link it to your Google Analytics, and then make sure you submit your sitemap. And you could do all of that in like under 15 minutes. And that's like a win you can have today. I love that. Okay, next classic question. I love that. What is one huge obstacle you've successfully overcome in your career? Ooh, being bullied? at the bank. So I was one of the only women business bankers. And then I was one of the only women managers. And the men were like, not my biggest fan because I was coming for their gig. Right. And I was moving up faster than anybody. So it was pretty obvious. Like if I wanted your store, which is what Wells Fargo calls brand, if I want your branch, I'm coming for it. Like, I will do so well, I will have your store. And so they would just kind of belittle me and be like, oh, Rian is just big words, Rian's this, Rian's that. It was really weighed on me. And it made me at first start to dumb down the language I was using. But then I was like, no, like, screw you guys. Like, sorry that I'm better than you. Like, actually, no, I'm not sorry. I'm just going to be better than you. And I'm going to come and take your store from you. Also, though, my top strength on Gallup Strength Finders is competition. <laughs> Another tip, Gallup Strength Finders. <laughs> I, I feel like that's the title of your book, Sorry, Not Sorry. <laughs> sorry, yeah. Oh, my gosh. You've been amazing. Are you open to connecting again? I just feel like we could yeah. get into so many areas of your life. Last question, best book. Like, it could be personal, business. Best book ever. 
Oh, you're a hundred books a year person. I can't leave you without finding out how you do that. So I read really fast. I'll answer that question before I answer best book. I read really quickly. I, for whatever reason, my brain is ordered in a way and it has always been, and I didn't lose this, where I look at a paragraph and I can read the whole paragraph. It kind of puzzles together in my brain and then I can just move on to the next paragraph. That's a superpower. It is a superpower. <laughs> Thank you, mom and dad. Like I have nothing, but but my mom reads the same way. Like it's not just a me thing. And then my daughter does too. So maybe it's passed down <laughs> genetically because no one taught me to do that. And no one taught my daughter to do that, but we all do it. And I would say the best book that I think everybody should read is Roots by Alex Haley. I read it in fourth grade for the first time and it stuck with me forever. And I think it's a must read. It's critical to understanding our history and U.S. history. And recently in the same vein, I read The Underground Railroad. It just won a Pulitzer. And that's probably the best book I've read in the last six months. It's phenomenal. And give us like the quick synopsis on both. Okay. Roots is the story of Kunta Kinte as he is stolen from his homeland in Africa, put on a slave boat and enslaved and sold and is an enslaved person. And then his story and then what happens next. And then the Underground Railroad is also about an enslaved woman who is searching for the Underground Railroad. And I can't tell you more than that without getting Okay, cool. Don't say more. Don't say more. Oh my gosh, I stayed up all night and read Underground Railroad in one night. In fairness, Roots is a big book. Like Roots is like, it's like a doorstopper book, right? Like it's, uh, uh, Underground Railroad is not, it's maybe 250, 300 pages. Amazing. And the one that I'll contribute because it's in alignment with like survival is Man's Search for Meaning. Have you read that one? I have not, but I will have to. I don't know. What are you talking about? (laughs) <laughs> You've read every book possible. Okay. And it's short. You'll probably read it in an hour knowing you. Man Search for Meaning. I picked it up when I was in Prague. And it's about, if I remember right, it's Viktor Frankl and how he survived the Holocaust. And essentially, the message in the book is you serve a purpose larger than yourself. And so it talks about how he came to that. How he, I mean, it was amazing. It was great. It was really great. And it's short, really short. Like re in short is like, I'm sure in 45 minutes to an hour, you'll be done with it. (laughs) I'll DM you and be like, okay, here's my thoughts. (laughs) Last bonus minor question, but one of my faves is, have you been on a podcast before? Yes. I I figured because you're a podcaster. Yeah. I just always like to ask to give everybody context. It's funny. The majority of our guests have not. And they're all different levels in life. And I like to show everyone that anything is possible at any stage. And just because someone has achieved many levels doesn't necessarily dictate what channels they've been elevated on or, you know, it just, I feel like it opens a transparency of opportunity. Yeah. I love that. Because being on a pod, that was my goal a few years ago. I was like, I'm going to be on a podcast. I hadn't been on a podcast. And then my first podcast, I was like, I was so, I was so amped. I'm like, I am on it. That was this year. Which one? Like I was on a podcast. Unofficial Shopify podcast. Uh, Shockingly, I'm talking about SEO, you know. Rianne, thank you so much. You're amazing. You're so inspiring. One last time, tell everybody how they can connect with you and if you could spell it out for them. For sure. You can reach me at Twitter 
at Rian Katie, R-H-I-A-N-K-A-T-I-E. And you can, on my website, R-H-I-A-N-B-E-U-T-L-E-R. You can also email me directly. It's Rian at hey.com. So R-H-I-A-N at hey.com. I do the same thing now. With my yeah, hay. It's great. it's great. Oh, that's what I do for people my hay. I'm like, who wants my email? People think I own hay. They're like, great I, company. I'm like, wow. Like, I wish. You're like, like yeah, you're like, not mine. Agreed. Uh. <laughs> yes. Jason Freed's like my hero. <laughs> like, what an honor to for your yeah. mistake. Like, <laughs> yeah, would be on their advisory board if asked. You know, I'm just throwing <laughs> out throwing out things here. My gosh. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you for being part of the Women in Tech podcast. If you want to connect with more incredible women in tech around the world, remember to go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. Takes you straight there, womenintechvip.com. Say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you guys, talk to you guys, hear you guys in the next episode. Bye. Bye. This is Rian Boitler, COO and co-founder of Ventov, where we build apps to help merchants succeed on Shopify. I'm based in Redlands, California, and you're listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.